Welcome to welcome to two things. We're back with another two things. The same two things. The same two things, but different. Um, a the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A. a oh, B. <laughs> Can you believe we're talking about Captain America? Oh, I did have one. I had an opener. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay, it's go- it's gonna take just a second. Come on, don't give me unskippable ads at, at this time. Are you playing something? I'm not playing you? something. I'm playing it in my ear because I need to get the melody right. <laughs> are, are you going to sing again? Who's strong and brave here to save the American oh. way? Who vows to fight like a man for what's right night and day? Who will campaign door to door for America? Carry the flag shore to shore for America. From Hoboken to Spokane. The two things. <laughs> I did that was I didn't expect that at the end there. I I didn't expect it either, but I was like, am I gonna sing this whole song? I gotta figure out a fucking out here. Did you have the lyrics like written down? I had to pull them up, but then I realized I didn't know the melody for the one, so I had to urgently watch the movie again. <laughs> I watched the movie on 7.5x speed. <laughs> well, we're going to be discussing Captain America, the first Avenger, mm-hmm. which is the first solo Captain America movie in the MCU in phase one. It's the second to last movie of phase one. Even though it has first in the title, it's the fifth one, the second to last, but also the first Captain America. (laughs) So it's very clear what's going on. And also, not to spoil things going forward, but is he the first Avenger? (laughs) Well, Black Adam was DC, right? Because he was was ancient Egypt. Black Adam fucking rearranged the hierarchy of the DC of the DC universe. Yes, 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 yes. Did you genuinely think that? No, that was for the pod. I'll be honest. I was putting that on. <laughs> you shouldn't have asked. Well, sometimes I can't tell if you're pretending to be stupid or if you just are. Well, it's it is incredibly. It's hard for me sometimes. Oh man, did you watch the latest episode of Last of Us? Just kidding. Just kidding. There's no more. We need a new current show to do our little banter corner about. Oh, well, I've been watching White Lotus. Oh, what do you think so far? I hate to do this, Mom, but I don't really like it. (laughs) I felt bad because I was like, I've been telling my mom to watch Girls for like weeks. And she's just been like, when are you going to watch White Lotus? And I was like, I'll fucking watch White. Fine. I'll watch White Lotus. Just watch Girls. Is she watching Girls? She is watching Girls. Interesting. What does she think of Girls? Um, I haven't. We haven't really had an in-depth conversation about it. I've asked her who her favorite characters are. She likes Shoshana, and she likes Hannah, mm. and she thinks Adam is weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, that is true. He is weird. But yeah, so she's watching that. I'm watching White Lotus in exchange. It's a transactional thing. And so far, I'm not... I don't dislike it. It's not like triangle of sadness where i'm vehemently against it and i think it fails i'm just like 
a little confused as to why it's such a sensation. Like, nothing happens in it. It's kind of crazy. It's the only show we have that's like an erotic thriller. Obviously, you know, a lot of people talk about how that genre has sort of died out. And it's the only really big mainstream thing that's like that. But it's also just not... It's not Verhoeven, you know? I mean, like, I can see how a lot of, like, how it has, like, a mainstream purchase, but I feel like, you know, I feel like you and I are guys who are, like, more in the, like, basic instinct lane than the, I don't, I know you've not seen that movie, but more in the Verhoeven super gonzo lane if you're going to be doing this rather than the, not all the time, but it's just, like, if you're going to make a show that's about, like, rich people fucking in a resort, like, like go the distance, you know? Yeah. I don't dislike Mike White. You know me. You yourself called me a Brad status warrior, which I wear <laughs> with honor. Which I do need to rewatch, to be fair. Which is a, a shocking, like a much better film than you expect it to be, in my opinion. Or a movie with more going out. Whatever. This isn't Brad status and uh, something else. (laughs) But yeah, it's not, it's just not a very great, it's not a, it's a fun show. It's like an entertaining show. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not quite where you want it to be, you know? Yeah. I do really like uh, Murray Bartlett, I believe is how you say his name. He's great. He's the best part. He's like the one character where I'm like, oh, this is a, this is a human being. And like, I don't want it to be misconstrued that I can't watch something with unlikable characters because I love unlikable characters. We are talking about girls. <laughs> um, and also the whole thing about it, like f- being framed with the opening scene of like, there was a murder. And then yeah. it's just like four episodes in and it's just kind of rich people being annoying. I'm like, where's the fucking momentum here? Like, I thought this was a mystery or something. That's again, part of the like beat, like, Go the distance with what you give a shit about. Clearly, this show doesn't give a shit about the murder, and the murder is just like, it's very much like we need people to watch week-to-week television, which is why television is an inferior medium, why the (laughs) best shows are like, we're just going to trust that we are good enough to keep people watching, rather than like, I want to make a show that's about all these people swinging their dicks and boobs around. Well, also, don't tell me who gets murdered because I'm extremely invested. So when Alexandra Daddario gets shot in the face. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't think she's going to be the one who gets murdered. That I think that was that's an obvious bait and switch. You think? You think that's an obvious bait and switch? Yeah. I Sometimes think... I can't tell if you're pretending to be stupid or actually stupid. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about, let's dive into these fucking things. I don't want to talk about White Lotus anymore. Who gives a fuck? <laughs> Sorry, Mike White. I love Brad status. Sorry, my mom. Sorry, Nick's mom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, well, here's the thing. Who's going to tackle it first? Do you want to do it or do you want me to dive in? I mean, I kind of want to dive in. You can dive in, my friend. You can dive in. Okay, because you got Thor last time. That's all I'm saying. Right, right. We That's how we should do it. So you're diving in this week on Marvel. I'll dive in on girls. Next week, I'll dive in on Marvel. You dive in on girls. Perfect. All right. Okay, well, then you have the coveted position of talking about Captain America, the first Avenger first. Okay. So I've seen this movie four times. I think. Really? Well, I've seen it because I watched, I tried to marathon the MCU twice before, and then I'm pretty sure I saw it before Avengers came out at some point. 
And every time I've seen it, well, except the first, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but the last two times I've seen it, I've just been like, this is whatever. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. Here's what I'll say. We're four episodes in, the Lost Pilot included. Mm-hmm. And for the first time, I think we watched a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> I am shocked at how much I think I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. It's so fun. It's so goofy. It's very sincere. And it's like a very, I'm going to say by the books, but that's not a negative thing. It's a very by the books, like superhero origin film. And it makes me question certain things. Like, because obviously we have never had anything to do with the production of one of these movies, but we make these assumptions about them. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? We're like, oh, well, it's the MCU, so they don't give creative control to their filmmakers. Kevin Feige and whoever, they control these movies. They just have people who are worker Joes that show up to do the job. But then I see a movie like this, and I'm like, is that true? Because this movie has, like, style. It's got visual presence. It's got really well-constructed action sequences and set pieces. It's thematic and... It's just a lot of fun. And after watching Thor and after watching Iron Man 2 and The Incredible Hulk, I'm like, why? And this movie costs less than all of them. I think it costs the same as Thor. Mm -hmm. But this movie costs less than the rest of those movies. And this movie is like, in comparison to those, kaleidoscopic. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of practical sets, which again, I'm not a PP, a practical purist, but... Scenes have like a visual flavor, like the bunker heist sequence in the middle of the movie, or the stuff at the army training grounds, or the opening scene, the Arctic scene, which is just like, I that scene started and I was like, this is aliens. This is the thing. Yeah, they're doing they're doing like James Cameron riffs. I thought it was awesome. I'm just like to cut to the chase. I'm kind of shocked. Like I like I do have complaints about it. And I'll I'll just like breeze into those real quick. Sure. I thought structurally it was a little weird at certain points, specifically with uh, the treatment of Bucky, who I the character himself I thought he was great, but. Him being a part of Steve's journey before he goes into the army and then kind of disappearing throughout the film. And then they rescue him from the bunker and then he dies like 15 minutes later or he quote unquote dies. I thought that was just a little bizarre how they kind of sequenced all that stuff. Um, I'm not sure if I, if he needed to die in this movie. but And I also just... Th- this movie, you can tell they made the, the switch from film to digital photography and i think that kneecaps some of the visuals of this movie because it just looks so glossy and smooth and i just it it's kind of ugly to me but other than that i mean i dug it a lot i mean the last time i watched it was like deep into the pandemic and over these past few years you know this but this is over these past few years i've really become enamored with the visual medium of filmmaking and form in a way that I wasn't, you know, growing up. Like if something was 
stylistic. It had to be very pronounced and in your face about it for me to be like, this is a stylistic choice. Yeah. But now I can watch a movie and sort of, at least I feel, I'm not trying to like pat myself on the back, but look, distinguishes itself from other films, how scenes can distinguish themselves from other scenes in the same film. And I think this movie does that really well in a way that makes me go, why don't they do this all the time? This movie has like its own rhythm and its own feel. I I really dug it. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll give my history uh, with the movie and then I'll respond. I had seen it once. Uh, I I think I rented it on Redbox. Well, I think my mom rented it on Redbox. (laughs) And I remembered nothing about it. And I remember at some point in the past, like when I was a a man with a mind rather than a dumb boy who remembered nothing about the life he was actively living, I remember just like seeing the poster and being like, oh, yeah. The first Captain America movie. That's probably a piece of shit, whatever. And then <laughs> we were dunking on it in our last episode. We also dunked, and I and I, and I want to formally, on behalf of two things as a as a foundation, uh, issue a public apology to chief film critic at IndieWire, David Ehrlich. This is the best Marvel film. <laughs> <laughs> At least that we've watched so far and that we will watch. (laughs) It's so fucking good, dude. It's crazy. It's the best one we've watched so far. And I'm like, okay, so like maybe No Way Home will be better than this, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, dude, it fucking rocks. It's so, yeah, it's super stylish. And it's like, you're dead on. It's a fucking movie. It's a real movie. You're watching it and you're like, this isn't a fucking episode of the Iron Man show. Where like, (laughs) who are we going to introduce today? And like, what what if we had a beginning and a middle and an end? And it's like, yeah, Thank God. It's in, it's in a really unique and special position where 90% of this movie takes place in the past. And it's about something that is completely unrelated to the world at large in the MCU. So you can't have Nick Fury come in with, like, Booster Gold. Uh, he's DC, but still. It's like you got to exist in this world and you can only tell a story that's about Captain America and the people that matter to him. And it's and it does that really well. And and I, I see what you're saying about the digital cinematography. I think that early on it looks pretty atrocious. I think that like the 1940s New York and stuff at the beginning looks like dog ass. But I think <laughs> that's like because as the movie goes on, it looks better and better and better. And yeah. so it feels like that's a product of like. Of, of something that movies don't do anymore of like, we're going to save the best for last, especially these big like temple blockbusters. We're going to front load this with the worst stuff because we don't, uh, maybe they don't have the budget or whatever. So we're going to front load this with the shittier shit. But then as the movie goes on, it's going to look better and you're going to get more into it. And then by the time you're done with it, all that like ugly CGI New York is a distant memory that you don't even care about because you were just taken on a fucking adventure 
this is an Indiana Jones movie. A Nazi <laughs> gets obliterated by a propeller, and you see like red mist. I screamed. I couldn't I... believe it. There's a shot where a man gets shot in the head, and you see the bullet leave his skull. This is on <laughs> Disney Plus. I'm like, are we fucking for real? How does no one talk about this? This is amazing. And yeah, like. I've not seen any of Joe John. Well, I've seen like Jumanji years and years ago. I've not seen The Rocketeer, which feels like the clearest parallel in his filmography to this. But like, like I know that people love that movie and it has a cult status. And you can feel that this is made by someone who's like has a style and a vision and has fingerprints. And like, aside from you know Joss Whedon and James Gunn and kind of Taika Waititi. I feel like these filmmakers at, at the MCU don't th that they don't care about fostering that. Obviously, exactly what you just said. Like the the feeling of like, well, these are movies directed by journeymen who are just like working a job, and that's why they don't have a style or they have this house style that's kind of flat. This movie does not have that at all. This movie is textured. The like musical dance numbers that I sang in, in reference at the beginning with the like cheerleaders are so like fun and boisterous. All the, you know, world war two design and stuff is really well accomplished. The red skull looks fucking crazy. It's awesome. just, it's just fun. It's just full of choices and decisions that build to again, what just feels like a real fucking movie. Thank God. Yeah, fucking seriously. I'm going to I'm going to be just vulnerable for a second. Oh, babe, get vulnerable. <laughs> this movie made me tear up. Where? Where? Two parts. The scene where Tucci dies? Yeah. Oh, Tucci. That Oh my god, we got to talk about Tucci. We got to have a Tucci talk. Cuz that's a moment where like you could see in a in a lesser movie they hammer it home everything that Tucci was saying about what it means to be a good man to be a strong man they could just have him say it again as he's dying mm -hmm. but like you think he's about to say something and then he doesn't and all he does is just tap Steve Rogers on the chest and then he dies oh. and I was like that's a moment where like nothing is being said but you feel what's supposed to be said yeah. That's like a really good, like emotional moment. And then the second moment, of course, was at the end when he's about to crash the ship and him and Carter are talking about going dancing on Saturday. And he's just like trying to have a casual conversation. I thought it was really stirring in like a shocking way. Yeah. yeah. And you teared up too, right? Well, no, I would never do that. I would never cry at a film. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the one moment that I remembered from this movie, and I think I even referenced it as always being like, well, that movie probably sucks, but that moment is great is when Tommy Lee Jones and I forgot it was him that did it. I forgot Tommy Lee Jones was in this. Um, yeah. And he's a lot of fun Me too. I think he's great. I think he like, I was afraid he was just going to dial it in, but he's like giving, I mean, it's like a pretty f straightforward performance, but it's like, zippy and fun i love the line at the end when he's like i'm not gonna kiss you i thought that was really fun oh my god it's so funny but like that moment where he jumps on the grenade and like tommy lee jones is the one who does it to prove the point of like this guy's fucking nobody and these like these real men are the heroes that we need and then it totally blows up in his face when he jumps on the grenade and he's like get back and it's like this is like 
weirdly impactful. This like leaves a dent because this is a movie about a guy who's willing to he's willing to give everything up because he just cares that much. And and yeah, that's what the ending is, is him being like, I'm here and I'm the only person who can do this. So I'm going to make this is a movie about a guy who is desperate to make the ultimate sacrifice, not in a way of like, I want to be a martyr, but in a way of like, this is someone who's giving everything they have to this. And you believe that it does the thing that these movies should be doing. And that I think in theory, they want to be doing where I am excited to see him in the next movie. I'm like, I want more of this guy because I give a shit about him because this movie took me on his journey and got me invested and made me give a shit. And I don't feel that about fucking Hulk or Thor or Iron Man even. I like those guys' performances. Well, I like Chris Hemsworth and Downey Jr.'s performances in those movies. And I don't dislike them as actors. I mean, I'm happy to see them on screen. But I'm not like, I want to see Tony Stark. I want to fucking see Steve Rogers, man. I fucking love the guy. He's a fucking homie. He's a dork. Okay, we got to talk about the crazy body CGI at the beginning. He looks like the he looks like the inverse Hassan Piker. He's got the huge <laughs> head on the little body. It's it's mostly good enough, but it's always weird. It's never not weird. Well, it's yeah, it holds up when he's not moving. There are moments where he yeah, like kind of walks yeah. or sits down somewhere and you're like, that's a little wonky. The thing that's most impressive to me about it, because I was like, his head looks good. His face looks good. It is just, it's uncanny valley seeing it on that body. Yeah. But the most impressive thing about it is when he comes out of the serum chamber and he's like Captain America, his chin is different. He's got like a built, like structured, muscular chin. That's really and I'm like, interesting. How did they do that? Like, how did they make his chin and mouth like look as good as it does? Like, it's really, it holds up really well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's weird, but I honestly think it like gives the movie character. It's like yeah. interesting. It's at least something worth discussing rather than with Thor where we're like, okay, do we talk about these fucking Dutch angles for like 45 minutes? What the fuck? <laughs> okay, so I, I took some notes. I'm not going to read all of them because I took a lot of them, but they're very short. Obviously, you start off, it starts with that great Antarctica sequence. And in my head, I'm like, this is cool. But all of these movies have had solid beginnings and then they get kind of shitty at some point. Except Hulk, which is just like dog shit out the gate. (laughs) But like, you get into New York and you're like, okay, this looks kind of shitty, but like, whatever, you know, let's just see. I thought the World's Fair stuff was fun. You get the cool grenade sequence that I mentioned. Where this movie really starts, pretty obviously, is when he gets big, which is, this is a brilliant narrative decision. Immediately, you get your first big action set piece with the chase scene leading to the submarine. Yeah. We've been sort of meandering, American spirit, all this shit. And then, like, as soon as that starts, and he's booking it down the street, and he's so, like lumbering that he doesn't really have his momentum down and he crashes into a building but he still manages to catch up with the car and he's using this door as a shield and you're like oh because he uses the shield later ready player one it sounds like glados (laughs) and then he catches up and then the submarine and you're like holy shit this is like an elaborate fucking plot what's going on 
And then he gets the guy, and the guy kills himself. Is this the only MCU movie where a man commits suicide on screen? <laughs> Crazy, but it's like, oh, we're in a fucking film. This is a thrilling set piece. Well, it kind of reminds me, I mean, we we joked about talking about Last of Us, but in the first episode of Last of Us, when the zombies are chasing Pedro and his daughter, they're going so fast that they're crashing into stuff yeah. because they don't know how to control their movement. And also just the fact that he's like barefoot in the streets of New York City, which like back then, I don't know if that's a like a, a hygienic choice, <laughs> but it's cool. He's got worms. And, all, yeah. and also the best part to me of that, well, two best parts, when he punches through the glass underwater. So badass. So crazy. It's like, oh, this guy is fucking strong. This guy's a big dude. <laughs> this guy's about as strong as me, I'd say. This guy's almost at my level. Um, <laughs> and when when the Hydra guy throws the kid in the water and Captain America runs up and he's like, go get him. I can swim. <laughs> Dude, that's such a movie moment. It's like, this is, they give a shit about the little charms, about charming you. I'm being courted by this film. This isn't Thor where it's like, I don't know, put it in New Mexico and he's a fish out of water and make it two hours later. Uh, and he, he, he throws coffee on the ground. He throws coffee on the ground and then, and then that's our quota for jokes for the film. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no! Like I was gonna say, the moment at the at the fair when he steps up to that plate that like puts your face in the soldier <laughs> <Yeah>. uniform. <laughs> a real laugh! You gotta laugh. I was thinking the exact same thing. Just little choices where I'm like, this gives this movie flavor. Yeah. Like the introduction to Red Skull, which we have to talk about. A Red Skull. Oh my god, dude! His skull is red, <laughs> and not only is his skull red. But he was like, holy shit, you know what my fucking name should be? <laughs> you know what would be fucking perfect for me now that I got this skull that's red? <laughs> it's like, people would get it immediately. Dude, the, 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 the portrait of him with like the red blobs of paint and you're like, I know what that fucking paint means. I know why that red paint's there. <laughs> and it's also like really restrained it's like not till halfway through that he gets his like signature look yeah they give they give you little breadcrumbs that keep you going along the whole course of the movie here's the thing about red skull i mean he's hilarious <laughs> he's a big goober the thing about these movies like everyone talks about how shitty marvel villains are in the marvel movies all you have to do to make a good villain make them able to be empathized with or understood to a degree or just make them insane. <laughs> yeah. And Red Skull is a fucking lunatic. When Tucci's like sitting down with uh, Steve Rogers at the clinic or whatever and telling him about Hugo Weaving and it's doing that weird montage of like overlaying Hugo Weaving's face in front of fire. It's like, mm -hmm. this is all I need. No, totally, totally. It's like, I just want to say really quickly, all these movies have like the military industrial thing looming over them, but this is the only one where it's like, yeah, World War II, we fucking won that war. That was a good war that we should have won. <laughs> 
shocking lack of Soviets, but whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's like we fucking I can get on board with the patriotism because it's fucking Nazis. Hell yeah. Harder to get on board when it's like guys in their hometown who are like, please stop killing us. And Tony Stark is like, no, I refuse. <laughs> I'm going to make a suit so I can kill you myself. So I'm going to make a I'm going to make a suit so I can kill you so I can melt you with impunity. Because it's not enough that my missiles do it for me. I want to be the guy. But yeah, like with, with so it's like okay, we've we've got our character. He's the best soldier in the U.S. Army during World War II. Who's who's the natural antagonist? Adolf Hitler. No, 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 no. Who could be worse than that, dude? I wrote the exact same. I was like, it's hilarious. Because it's, like, even down to, like, the Hydra salute where it's both of their arms and it looks so stupid. And you're like, yeah, this is perfect because they're so obsessed with, like, the lame, dumbass pageantry because that's the whole thing. I mean, he has a red skull. It's borderline. They borderline, like, make fun of Hitler. They're, they're like, he's he's nothing. He's He didn't know how to get shit done. Yeah, he's like, he's like an afterthought in this movie. They're like, Hitler, fuck off. Red skull is the... If you had a red skull tomorrow, I'd be like, sorry, Nick, but you gotta, like... The Geneva Conventions has to get involved here. <laughs> We're somehow. not doing two things no more. We're not doing two things. I'm not doing two things with a red skull, man. I mean, okay? I'm going to keep watching Girls, but it's over other than that. <laughs> can I, now I can finally watch all of Girls at once instead of twice a week. <laughs> I mean, we got to talk about Bucky a little bit. Yeah, I didn't know Bucky... Okay, this is stupid. I forgot <laughs> Bucky went back this far. I remember when he showed up in Winter Soldier. I remember watching Winter Soldier in a friend's house. And a friend of mine was like, Oh my god, it's Bucky! And I did the Snoop Dogg who... Who the <laughs> fuck is Bucky? This is the Winter Soldier. Do you know what we're watching? Yeah. Here's what I'll say. I like when Bucky dies because it's like, again, this is isolated to this era in the past. And that felt consequential to me. It's like, damn, they fucking killed off his friend. And yeah, he's going to come back in the later movies in a stupid way. But it's like in this storyline, in his real life, his friend just fucking got wasted. And I thought that was a fucking a consequential choice. Well, earlier I did say I don't know if they needed to make him die. I was it was less about that and more just like the pacing of it were like, oh, we just rescued him, and he's dead now. I, I thought that was a little wonky. Not really the choice of him dying, but just if he had kind of been there all along somehow, and then he died, I think it would have been a little more impactful. I was just having whiplash with like, oh, Bucky's back. Oh, he's gone. Yeah. I, I really like it when uh, they're at the bar, and Peggy shows up in her red dress. Yeah. And... Bucky's trying to hit on her and she doesn't give a shit. She's just so locked in on Steve and Bucky's like, ah, oh, shit. Like, it's like clear that it's impacting him. His ego's bruised a little bit. I thought that was really fun. <laughs> this movie's really funny. Like, there's not really any joke that I remember being like, oh, come on. Are you re fucking really like, like most of the jokes hit. It's like, they're really charming. Yeah, it's a it's a charming, funny. It's a movie with that's like well written in every regard. The character motivations are all there. The story structure is like satisfying and thrilling and fun. The and like obviously, obviously, movies don't have to be like punchy and jokey. And but you know, 
these are like Marvel blockbusters. These are not like Peter Sherkowski movies or whatever. <laughs> you you don't want to you don't want a formula, but there are certain things that like either you want them to be punchy, and if they're not, you want it to be purposefully not. Yeah. And this is like this is just a punchy, fun blockbuster. Again, it's an Indiana Jones movie. It's got good jokes and setup and payoffs and thrilling set pieces. We haven't even got to the plane. I mean, it's the ending, so it makes sense. But like the plane set piece at the end, 30 minute long fucking set piece there. The plane is taking off and you look and there's half an hour left in the runtime. And you're like, what the fuck? We have like, this is happening now. There's one moment that I really want to highlight from that sequence when the ship nosedives and then it sends Steve flying up against the wall and then Red Skull flies up after him and like pins him to the wall. Yeah. It's like, that's creative. There's like, there's like flourishes to these action sequences. Well, when he first gets on the plane and he's fighting the guys and then he's on the ship and he drops his shield and you're like, dude, get off the ship. And then the ship falls and that's when he throws the guy into the propeller and he gets wasted. And I was like, how is he going to get back on the plane? Like, I was truly, I wasn't like, this is spelled out. I'm I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm like, dude, you got to get back on that fucking plane. What's going on? What are you doing? And then he does it. I'm like, of course, of course, Captain America would figure this out. Why did I doubt you, man? And another thing about this is that I felt that the setup stuff for the future movies, like the Tesseract, was like way more organically woven into the story than in the other yeah. movies. Like it's the it's the tritium thing from Spider-Man 2. It's like, oh, it's this fucking all-powerful thing. Who cares? It's going to make me powerful. You know, that's part of his journey is just becoming powerful from that because it's all about Red Skull and Hugo Weaving. It's not about the Tesseract. It's just the Tesseract is visually represented here, but the movie is about Red Skull and Captain America and all these things. It's just crazy that this movie was able to be executed in the way that it was when you've got these other four movies that are all guilty of the same sins. And then this one's just a good fucking movie and it properly sets things up. Oh my God, dude, the ending with the baseball game and he's in that like fake clinic. I thought that was fucking awesome. I thought that was really clever and fun. And then him being like, I went to that game. It was in May, 1941. That was really, really fun. It's fucking awesome. It's it's like it's so good that they stole it for the best Mission Impossible film <laughs> with fucking Wolf Schitzer, dude, our favorite political commentator. Wolf <laughs> well, it wasn't Wolf Schitzer. They wanted us to think it was Wolf Schitzer. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. But we know. We know it was L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> okay, um the one other thing I want to shout out about the Tesseract thing, again, I know I'm belaboring this fucking point, but like the Indiana Jones thing, all of those fucking movies end with some big, like super crazy, supernatural thing. And this movie does that to a fucking T. Like the 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 ending of Raiders with the Ark of the Covenant and the Nazis' faces melting. That's the same fucking beat as this with the Tesseract and like the stars and him getting shot into space. But you're not thinking, oh, it's the fucking Ark of the Covenant. You're like, oh, my fucking God, what is this Tesseract thing? What is happening? <laughs> like, you're, like, thrilled by it. And, it like, it's taking its influences and applying them in a way of, like, okay, we know this works. 
but we have to make it our own. And they accomplish that in a way that's exactly like you're saying, also interweaving with these other movies that it has to interweave with, but it's doing so like tactfully and in creative ways rather than like Kenneth Branagh like hung over on set <laughs> and Kevin Feige calls him and is like, hey dude, so Jeremy's on his way. Um, do you have the scene for him? And he's like, oh fuck. Yeah, we'll put him in a balloon. <laughs> and people won't know who he is yet. We'll put him in a balloon, and then everyone will be like, oh my god, they got Hawkeye to play Hurt Locker. <laughs> okay, I have two other questions before we move on. These are questions I re- Oh, I also love the 50s credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I- That's fun, and then it's weird that the end credit scene is just a trailer for Avengers. <laughs> um, anyway, here are the two questions I wanted to ask you. Okay. Well, one of these is stupid, so I'm only... The one of them is, what's the best basic training scene in movies? Not really a great question. Here's the second one. Did you ever in your life consider joining the military? Absolutely not. Never once. You were always like, fuck that, no way. We had, like, a law enforcement program at my high school or something that was, mm-hmm. like... not. I don't want to say indoctrinating, Uh inducting kids into this program that kind of teaches them basics about law enforcement. And I know that like part of the thing was that you would get pepper sprayed. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And so I was like, why would I ever want to join the military? Because that's just what you do there all the time is just, you just get pepper, you sprayed. Get pepper sprayed and you fucking do push-ups. I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was always like, I want to be a filmmaker because that's noble. You always <laughs> want to. <laughs> I want to serve my country at the con. <laughs> so you always wanted to be a filmmaker. You knew that very early on. No, no. There was a period of time where I wanted to be an author. Oh, like Stephen King. Yeah, he was part of it, but it was more, like, fantasy stuff. I was like, I kind of want to write these big, epic fantasy things. Oh, my God, dude. I don't know if I've told you this story before. This is just a quick aside. Did I tell you the story about the zombie short story I wrote? No, I've never heard about this. Okay, so this was when I first started, like, thinking about getting into, like, writing. I had to have been, like, 10 years old. I would like buy these notebooks or I would have my mom buy these notebooks for me and I would just like scribble little stories. And I don't remember the full narrative, but I remember that it only occurred across like three pages. This girl goes to this hotel and I was like, in. I think I was really obsessed with 1408 at the time, the movie. And I was like, oh, what if I wrote a short story about a girl who goes to a hotel and it's haunted? And so I started writing that. She goes to this hotel and it's got uh, like weird things happening. But then I was like, well, what if it was zombies? So then these zombies starting attacking her. And then I was like, well, what if there was like the the one zombie to rule them all? And so in in the in the in the canon of the narrative, uh. I wrote in this thing about there being this big basement at this hotel, and that's where King Zombie resided. His name was what? His his name was King Zombie. But <laughs> here's the here's the fucking cherry on top. I was also really into the King Kong movie that came out. Well, this is King Zombie. I love King Kong. Let's get King Zombie on top of a building, and so. I had it somehow that King Zombie got chased up 
on top of a really tall building in New York City. And I was like, well, I don't want to rip off King Kong. So how did they kill King Zombie? And can you guess how this narrative resolves? (laughs) I'm um, a, a nuclear explosion. So I the twist of it was that King Zombie had crawled on top of the Twin Towers. <laughs> no! No! And a heroic man named Osama bin Laden. I think the sentence I literally wrote was... And also, it was September 11th, 2001. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, okay, here's what I'll say. If you and I went to a film tomorrow (laughs) where a a character named King Zombie died in 9-11, that would be our favorite film. (laughs) So I think you were on to something, little Nick. I had, I was, I was fully formed. I, I I remember I told my mom I, I wanted to I had an idea for a bunch of a bunch of people who had superpowers, but they were like the X Men and they got the superpowers by having an extra chromosome. <laughs> and my mom had to be like, Chris, th- th- okay, I have to tell you about something. <laughs> mom, you don't get it. These are superheroes, and she's like, Chris, this is gonna be very hurtful towards a huge community of people. <laughs> All right, so speaking of New York City. Speaking of New York City. Well, okay, yeah, so I'm diving in. Okay, as we've established multiple times now, this is the best fucking show ever made. I fucking love this show so much. Oh, my God. These episodes are fucking baller ass. These are great. So, okay, so this one immediately, episode seven, they're going to this party, and they get there, and it's like, oh, this is a big party. And, like, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to have a big party. Fun. And the show's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Here are 30 different title cards. And you're like, oh, we're about to have a fucking the best night of our fucking lives. This episode is great. It's a huge turning point episode. Every time I'm loving the way these dynamics are developing. Hannah and Adam. Marnie being so jealous of Charlie and uh, and uh, what's her name? Adrian. Oh, I didn't get her name this time around. Oh God! I, yeah, Charlie and his new girlfriend. But yeah, like the Marnie being jealous about Charlie, so she's lashing out, at calling Hannah selfish, and then her uh, exchange with Elijah, where he hits her in the face, fucking <laughs> crazy, because she's like, "Your singing voice sucked. I don't know whose cock you had to suck to get into Rent." <laughs> and then Shoshana doing the crack is obviously it's a very like. It's it's the closest the show is veered into like lol so random bullshit, but it works because it's like not it's not just random bullshit. It's like, you know, who would be the funniest character to throw into a situation like this? Shoshana's perfect. And then the thing with Ray where he's like tracking her down and then she hits him in her self-defense way and she's <laughs> shocked and he's shocked. He's like, you are shockingly strong. <laughs> and then she starts non-sexually massaging his groin. It's purposeful. Everything is fucking purposeful. Her seeing Adam there, learning about him through taco with a K. The ending where Marty shows up and then all three of them are in the taxi after he's like, do you want me to be your fucking boyfriend? And also, of course, everything with Jessa and uh, and the dad that she's babysitting for, ending with that 
devastating thing of her. She's in the fucking hospital with him. And then he like hits on her. And as if that's not already awful enough, he then like when he gets rejected, lashes out at her with the tease thing. Yeah. It's so fucking sad. And like you feel for Jessa because you get the sense from the way her character has been developed so far and also by the performance in general of like, this is probably someone who's experienced this multiple times. Who's like had different people in her life who have, you know, seen her as this thing to covet and to pursue rather than a human being. Um, And it's just fucking just the way that these characters and these narratives are developing. And then of course that leading into the next episode with Hannah and Adam is like my favorite episode of the show so far. It's just their relationship is amazing. Adam driver is unbelievable in this fucking show. And like the, the chemistry that he and Lena Dunham have is so charming and fun when they're running and he's like yelling at her and she's throwing her shoes at him. Oh my God, dude. I just fucking love this show so much. Those are my overall thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. It is the most where it's leaning on just some of the absurdity and the comedy of it all. But it all does work because it is so specific to these characters. Like you said, Shoshana being the, for lack of a better term, the more innocent of all of the lead characters getting into the situation where she inadvertently smokes crack is so funny. And I I love when Ray's trying to ask her, he's like, was it, was it a crack stem? And she's like, no, no, no. And she just like (laughs) snaps at him. It's like, that's so good. And also, yeah. Oh my God. Fucking Marnie. The first moment where she enters the party and Shoshana comes over and she's like, Oh, your boyfriend's playing music. And she goes, well, I have to go say hi now. And Hannah's like, no, you don't. And Marnie goes, yes, I do. And then she just walks away. It's like, <laughs> what is going on with? Yeah. She is jealous of not really age. I, I, if her name is Adrian, she's not really jealous of Adrian having Charlie. It's more just about all of my friends are happier than me right now. And I just want to feel that same happiness. And also that moment where she's in the center of the party and she's looking around at everyone and Hannah and Adam are dancing. And then the camera pans over and it's Jessa and Jeff. And then the camera pans over and it's um, Charlie and and his new girlfriend. And then you're like, who else could there be? And then the camera pans over and it's Elijah and some guy. (laughs) It's just like the, the perfect, like how could this get more shitty for her? And yeah, that conversation between, Marnie and Elijah, that gives us a little bit of interesting information that Marnie went behind Hannah's back and fooled around with her boyfriend. It would, oh, and also, of course, yeah, the the cr- crucial information of finding out about Adam being in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah, being an AA. And here's something that I noticed re-watching it. In the second episode, um, after... The whole you're an 11 year old junkie sex scene later on, it's like the next morning and Hannah's leaving and Adam's in his bed and Hannah's like, I'm going to go home to my parents, uh, you know, whatever. And 
Adam's like, what are you talking about? And Hannah's like, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a junkie and uh, I'm going to go home to my parents covered in cum, like you said. And Adam just like stares at her like completely blankly as if he has no idea what she's talking about. And I'm like, did he black out? Is that what this is supposed to be? Because she says the thing in the episode, the party episode uh, about you're you might be a sex addict. And he's like, yeah, maybe. And then going back to that episode and just seeing how he completely has no idea what she's talking about. It's like, what is going on here? <laughs> like that is so interesting. Yeah, it's just oh, an interesting detail that you don't think about. And then you probably wouldn't even remember by the time you get to the point where you find out about Adam. It's doing something very interesting that. Not that you can only do with TV or with long form storytelling, but that is so much harder to do in like two hour movies or whatever, where the show starts and you get introduced to all the characters and you're immediately thinking, okay, Adam is the freakazoid of the show. He's the funny weirdo character. And then someone like Marnie is a put together version of like, she's Hannah's put together friend who kind of can give Hannah shit about you're not paying your bills and you don't have a job and blah, blah, blah. And then at this point in the show, it's like, oh, this guy is not this like freakazoid, no personality psycho. He has an internal life. And when he's like, you never asked me about it. You don't give a shit about me. You want me to fuck you and then have fun. And that's fine. But like, you don't care about me. And she's like, well, do you care about me? And he's like, see right now. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, a great conversation. It's so perfect. And it's one of those things where it's like, there, there would be a lot of ways to do that. That is like shitty. And then there are a lot of ways to do that where it's like, too delicate or like too cognizant of like, okay, well, you know, these people can't cross any lines here, but it's like, this is just very authentic. And it feels like these people are like having a real argument and they're getting vulnerable with each other and they're kind of lashing out and it's complex. Uh, and so Adam is getting this sense of humanity that you would never have thought from the first like couple episodes of the show that he would get. And Marnie is revealing herself to be, a very like dark, bitter, angry person, like a much more, a much more damaged person or a much more damaging person than you would have ever expected from those first couple episodes. Like she's so mad that Hannah is happy and that other people are happy. And it's, and it's not even like, like, I agree with you that it's not, she's jealous about Charlie or about this, like other about Adriana or Audrey or whatever her name is having Charlie as her boyfriend. She's just like, I don't want you to be happy maybe. Or maybe we talked about how she was so dissatisfied with Charlie that what she needs is like a change of pace rather than like some gruff manly man, you know, type. And, and Charlie's new girlfriend seems to be sort of the opposite of Marnie. And maybe that's part of it too, of like, he's found the thing that she is looking for in this abstract way of like the opposite of this long-term partner that she's had. He's found new experience. He's going to Rome. He, you know, this is like, she is living the same life that is on the surface put together, but that she's miserable with. She says in episode eight, I'm as miserable as I've ever been in my life. And Jessa has that fantastic line. It's so working. You look so good right now. <laughs> But it's, yeah, it's just the every fucking episode, 
the psychologies of these characters and the emotional landscapes of the show get so much more complex and rich and involved. It's amazing. It's fucking amazing. I imagine you kind of feel this way to an extent. I feel like you're right that there's so much on display with these characters that you can just talk about and dig into. But I think there's also a lot left for your interpretation where you can kind of apply your own sort of ideas about what these characters are feeling or experiencing or what sort of their fundamental, you know, attributes of their personality are. Marnie, it's really interesting how, you know, in the first couple episodes, she seems just, you know, very put together. She has a very normal life. She's in a relationship that unfortunately is not working out, but she's got that. She's got a job. She has her friends. And then the second that something sort of dissipates from her life, she just goes, she completely shifts into this completely different person compared to what we've already seen. Like when she's talking to Charlie and she's and Adrian runs over and like hugs and kisses him and she's like it's been 2 weeks. This took you 2 weeks. And it's like it's not just 2 weeks. Like for Charlie in the pre or not the previous episode, but the episode where he breaks up with her, he's like you don't love me anymore. It's been this way for a long time. I think we just need to be honest with ourselves. So for her to minimize it and be like 2 weeks when we broke up, that's when you stopped loving me. It, it's it's just this weird narrative that she's kind of painting to make herself feel more in the right about the situation, I feel, versus it's a complicated situation where they were both, they had their their pros and cons, their flaws and their and their good qualities. Yeah, I complete yeah, it's it's that's what gives it complexity. Like if the if the if it were about Marnie is jealous because she still is in love with Charlie. Then it would be like, okay, sure, I get this. But that's not what it is. It's what you're saying. It's this thing of like, this is a person who is inventing narratives. And who, I mean, we talked last week about how, you know, these characters don't really know what they want and they do it for the story. And like, they have fun and they think about that fun. These are people who are trying to sort out lives that they don't understand and that have multiple facets to them. Adam Driver, you know, he's like you going back to the thing of you think he's this goofy, absurdist character and that he's going to be entertaining in that way. But then you see the episode eight and you're like, oh, this guy has this like rich interior life that I never would have expected. And that's true of all these fucking characters. He's the most obvious example of it. But all of these characters have these like really. Yeah, they're they're creating narratives for themselves and they're, you know, reckoning with feelings that they don't want to acknowledge and that they can't fully understand. And so they're trying to understand it by telling themselves things or by, you know, grasping at straws. But it's like, there are no easy answers here. There are, there are multiple reasons why you feel the way you feel. And none of them are like really all that good or, or like really all that easy to grasp and, and come to terms with. Not one of them is. And there are a lot of them. How do you deal with that? And, and, you're totally right that the show isn't holding your hand and the show isn't telling you how to feel about it or, or you know, what these things mean. The show is putting you in the same spot as the characters. It's giving you the information you have and you have to deal with that. And a lot of people, you know, uh, maybe that's another part of why this show has such a tumultuous reputation was like, 
Maybe that's not what you want to see, you know, on a Friday night when you turn on the TV. I think this show has a lot of entertainment value. It's still incredibly funny. And we can go through some of these more specific notes. I love at the very beginning after the title card when Jessa pushes the girl away by her boob (laughs) or the line, this outfit is six months old. You look sweet. (laughs) It's it's more complicated than you might think it's going to be. And that might I could see how that would turn off people who were tuning in hoping for just like a funny show, a funny sitcom. Yeah. And also, you know, I'm kind of thinking about it, how there's constant debate about, oh, you need to have a likable character and, you know, then the unlikable character or you can only do one or the other. You know what I mean? We're like uncut gems. It's about a very flawed, troubled person person but he's compelling in that and then you have you know something like paddington 2 where like it's a a very likable character that you love watching and is compelling for that reason but i feel like this show does both where like you like aspects of these characters but there's also things that annoy the fucking shit out of you about them yeah and that and that's like it's if it's a show about friends that's very true to life you know we have friends in our lives and we have had we've had times where we've had blowout arguments (laughs) and it's like this is just part of fucking life and this is part of being a young person with like a lot of fucking hormones raging through you and and you know all these like these characters are all so horny all the time and that's awesome it's fun and it's real and it's you know it create it leads to these complicated situations yeah it's like you you don't have to have characters who are golden children uh, who are perfect in every way and you also don't have to just have characters who are like the scum of the earth both of those can be great paddington great example that is a pure character who is very honestly a pretty one-dimensional character and it works perfectly because it commits to that so well and it accomplishes those emotions so well and then you have something like, you know, fucking Anton Chigurh in No Country, where it's like, this is just the embodiment of evil. This is just an evil, dark figure, and that is their personality. Or someone like Red Skull. Or someone like Red Skull, where it's like, yeah, this guy's skull is red. I got it. <laughs> Very easy to understand. But yeah, like, it's harder. It's a, It's not necessarily. It requires different muscles to create a big cast of complex characters where there are no easy answers and where you have to unpack and reckon with things, but it can lead to something so juicy. And especially when you're watching a fucking TV show where it's like, I'm going to spend six seasons. I'm going to spend multiple hours on this show over the next like year of my life. You want to have some fucking meat on the bone to dig into and to chew on. And this show has that shit, man. It's great. Yeah. I also like how the show kind of plays with perception and how these characters perceive their own dynamics differently. Like anytime Hannah approaches Adam, especially in this episode, when she sees Adam at the party and she like sneaks up to that wall and like pokes her head around the corner and just kind of eyeballs him. And she's like super stressed out about who he's dancing with and what's going on. And then the second he sees her, he's like, oh, Hannah, what's up? Hey. And then like they start dancing together and she's being really like weird and like, I really like your shirt. And he's like, thanks. Do you want to dance? It's like the way 
that these two view their own dynamic is so vastly different, which is, I mean, it leads perfectly into the ending, which I, oh my God, I love the ending when he's, it's that wide of the two of them and he's on his bike and and he's like, I don't know what you want. Do you want me to be your fucking boyfriend? Like, it's so good. It's so funny, but also just like, you feel that like eagerness that Hannah feels. And then the shot of them in the taxi where she she's trying so hard not to smile, but she can't help it because she's so giddy. It's awesome. I wrote giddy. Giddy's the perfect word for it. It's perfect pacing is what it is. This relationship has been fun. I mean, I wouldn't have minded if they had stayed in the weird limbo, but it's like to put it right here. And then the next episode is about that relationship. And it's 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 super satisfying and it's thrilling. It opens up all these possibilities of like, oh, we're going to get to know these characters. And you're right. The, the, the difference between them of like he is this guy. You remember that episode of Community, the guy whose brain got damaged, the carny and he can't feel shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam Driver is that guy in this show. <laughs> I, lo- I love two other quick little jokes. In episode seven, when she's like, that's Adam. And they go, he does look like the first man. <laughs> and then they also say, I've never seen him with a shirt on. And you realize, oh, neither have I. <laughs> he is this like shameless, not shameless, but he's this guy who's very instinctive. And he's very like emotional. And he lets his emotions run right through him. He doesn't hide them. He doesn't shy away from them. He doesn't contain them. And he has that moment in episode eight where he screams at the car That's because he's frustrated about the play and he's taking it out on this person in the car where it's like it, like anytime you're ever like in a situation like this where someone is driving like a kind of a fucking idiot. The the uh, the instinctive rage is there, yeah. but to like slam on the roof of the car and to scream at them and stuff, it's like thrilling because it's this big exciting performance but it's also scary and you're like holy shit this guy's anger issues and then hannah is totally in contrast to that she is someone who is incredibly self-aware and very in her head and always thinking about her emotions and how she feels she's very analytical she's very neurotic in a way that's like funny and charming and sometimes grating and annoying in the way people like that can be i say as a guy who's like that um (laughs) But it's it's they are a really, really fun pairing of like they complement each other and contrast each other in like really perfect ways. They just interlock. And the conversation she has with him when they're both in those weird coveralls. Yeah. (laughs) uh, And she's talking to him about the play and he's very ardent about his artistic principles. And she's like, yeah, but you worked hard on it. And, you know, not everything is perfect. And you were great on there. And he's like, I would rather fucking die than have my, my name attached to something that was mediocre. You're like, okay, I admire the fucking spirit, but also Jesus Christ, dude, relax. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just they have a great, great relationship. And and I say all that as like, yeah, when that episode, at the ending of episode seven, you're like, oh my God, the fucking possibilities. And they dive right into it. And it's fun and it's satisfying and it's a perfect show and it's a great show. And if you disagree, <laughs> you're wrong, okay? Um, I do want to talk about Jessa a little bit because I feel like we're getting yeah. into a place where we're finally cuz Shoshana and and uh Jessa they haven't been on the back burner but they've definitely not been given a lot of moments and time as compared to these last couple episodes where her character starting to open up and you know comparing this scene 
to the scene where she meets with her ex-boyfriend who then cheats on his current uh, fiance with her because she wants to feel that sense of superiority to her, this person that she's never met. And then comparing that to the scene where she thinks she's pregnant and she hooks up with that guy in the bar and she's doing this very fiercely independent thing of like using this man for for what she needs and anytime he like you know chimes in and he's like is that okay does that feel good she's like shut up don't talk to me don't ever say that again it's i mean she's the perfect embodiment of the conflicting emotions thing where she wants this friendship with jeff but she also kind of sees how he might misinterpret that and he does he comes on to her at the hospital in this very pathetic moment but then you have the ex-boyfriend thing where she's like egging him on so she can win this contest that's ultimately happening in her own head and then this fiercely independent side of her i think she talks about this it's in the pilot where she's like I have sex when I want to. I do it how I want to. No one tells me how to do it. It's it's my choice every time. And you see that with the guy she hooks up with in the bar. And all of these things are, you know, happening concurrently in her own mind. And it's just this kind of sad thing where, like, you can tell she doesn't ultimately know what she really wants. But it changes depending on her situation. And I think the culmination of this Jeff thing is like a really, I mean, it's not satisfying. It's still a very bleak moment, but it is a satisfying button to what they've been hinting at with her character. She's a human being. She wants different things at different times based on the circumstances of her life. Like she has sex with that guy in the bar because she's skipping out on her abortion. She's like purposefully missing her appointment. Moments like that, it's like this is a person who feels things very deeply. Everything with Jeff, because like it's not just that she's like, she wants to be his friend and she sees that he's maybe misunderstanding that. I think she kind of likes that he's misunderstanding it to an extent. Yeah. They have that com- The very first time where that's alluded to is when they're talking late at night in the kitchen and they're both a little drunk. And they're sort of like flirting. And then one of the kids wakes up and she sort of has this like, like when you switch from first person to third person in Fallout New Vegas, where it's like, (laughs) oh, I see what I am. I see what I'm doing. I see the character I've created. I forgot I gave them green skin. (laughs) And she's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And she bails immediately. But then she puts on that uh, really nice dress and the makeup and stuff when she goes to hook up with her ex in their house. She's getting ready using like his wife's makeup and stuff. And Catherine Hahn, who's, she's not like weirded out by it, but it's like a noticeable thing. So there are these little things where she's like, she clearly kind of likes the danger and not the danger, but like the adventure of it all and sort of the taboo. Yeah. The weird, like the gray area of like, will they, won't they exactly do it for the story. She's the one who says that to Hannah. And Hannah does that with her boss. This is Jess's boss. Yeah. He's not touching her, but she's sort of playing that game with him. And then when they have the conversation, he's drunk and he brought the wine to the party. And she says something along the lines of like, I can't do this anymore or I can't be this person anymore or something. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. It's this breaking point of like, 
this is a person who is similar to Adam Driver, very instinctive and very much driven by the emotions that she's letting flow in and out of her. And she's feeling them and she's acting on them and she's living this life that's not impulsive, but that's like being generous, you would call it free. Being ungenerous, you would call it impulsive. And then she has this moment with this guy, Jeff, where it's like, this is like, this is a man with a family and this is my boss and I know this guy's kids and I kind of like him as a friend. And it's just like, it is very complicated and it reaches a breaking point of like, I have to make a fucking decision about my life somewhere. And I think that being in your 20s, you run into those moments, you know, in college, for example, can I really get be drunk for a whole month? Should I really be doing that? You know, like you have these come to Jesus meetings with yourself. And I think that's what we saw in this episode of her being like, I have to be a little bit more purposeful with what I'm doing with my actions. It, it, it comes in an especially harsh way with Jeff being such a dick about it with the tease thing. And she's like, I thought I liked you better when you were the good guy. And it's like, God, this is like, as soon as she ha- like develops a sense of like, again, the purpose thing, I need to be more deliberate with the way I'm living my life. She gets shit on for it by this guy who's supposed to be her boss and her friend. And it sucks and it's sad and it's complicated. It's, you know, I, I'm very curious where a character is going to go from here. I mean, we saw, she goes with the thing with Marnie and Chris O'Dowd, which is fucking crazy. Yeah. And, but she's the one who's like, I'm not enjoying this. This guy sucks. Let's get the fuck out of here. Trying to, again, be deliberate and purposeful. And she only enjoys it when Marnie kisses her. And she gets really into that. And that's a thrilling moment. It's similar to Shoshana and Ray, where it's like, where is this going? Well, I think, I I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things where I'm like, I feel like you can kind of read into this in a variety of ways. Where like, at at the start of the two of them talking to Chris O'Dowd, uh, he's very clearly much more into Marnie. Yes. Because of that. Well, not not even because of that, but Jessa is more dismissive of him and annoyed by him because she's not the object of his affection. And I'm not saying she even wants that, but it could be this third wheel situation or she kind of sees through the BS of what he's doing to Marnie, who's either genuinely charmed by him or pretending to be just to have like a flirtatious interaction. And then when they go to his apartment and he's being a weird freak about certain things, she starts kissing Marnie, which, you know, that could be its own thing. Marnie kisses her first or Marnie kisses her. And then she's into that because Chris O'Dowd is so, uh, gross shitty irish 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 yeah frustrated (laughs) by the situation because he keeps trying to like budge himself in between them and they keep like pushing him away and he's like pissed off and i think that's what jessa ultimately is being fueled by is this fucking guy's desperation and they're working in tandem to frustrate this man and even when he's like trying to touch Marnie, Marnie's just like slapping his hand away. So she's clearly not that into him. I think that's a really loaded moment. Uh, I'm burping. Speaking of disgusting men, dude. Yeah, that was that was uh, it's 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 very layered because it's like what happens at first is they get the drinks and and Jessa sees an older man in front of Chris O'Dowd and she waves at the old man. 
And then the old man walks away and then Chris O'Dowd is looking at them and then she's immediately disinterested. So it's not just that he's more into Marnie. She's right away, like you said, seeing through this guy. But then he comes over and he is more into Marnie and Marnie's in this position with Charlie and her jealousy. And obviously she's been going through his Facebook page this whole day and him in Rome and she's meeting this like rich guy in a nice suit. So maybe that's part of it. Marnie is clearly more into it than Jessa. And then, yeah, they go to his place and Jessa's like so in like and like obviously because this guy sucks. She's hating the experience. Marnie's trying to humor this guy and like trying to be like, no, this is fine. I'm enjoying this. But then you're right. Yeah, like she she kisses Jessa to keep her there. But then they get so into that. That it's sort of, I mean, again, none of this is said out loud. None of this is, like, telegraphed. But, like, you get the sense that, like, Marnie realized, oh, I don't want to hang out with this fucking loser Irish fucking, I love Chris O'Dowd. He's very funny. But I don't want (laughs) to fucking hang out with this nerd and his DJ. The the only thing that'd be worse is if he was making a podcast about this. Um, Oh, no. (laughs) and, And she's like, oh, no, I'm just trying to have, like, a fun... Uh, maybe sexual, maybe just a intimate experience. I don't know. But yeah, she gets so much more into the thing with Jessa and that's so much more like she gets so much more invested in that, that when Chris O'Dowd comes back and he, like you're saying, when he tries to get involved, she jumps at the touch of him and knocks over the wine on the rug and he has his meltdown, which is hilarious. (laughs) And then, I think Jessa is like, by the way, I'm going to eat her out on the streets, just so you know. Fucking, this is the best show ever fucking <laughs> I know, dude. It's great. Because, yeah, it's also like, it's funny. It's sexy. It's emotionally complex. It's awkward. It's doing, it's pulling off all these things in this really just like way where you're like leaning forward and you're laughing, but you're also like, where is this going? It's the perfect show. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, this might be in my top three shows. I'm, I, I mean, my top three shows are very, um, are very lofty. I would not be surprised if by the end of this experiment, it, it, it knocks its way in there. What else is in there? Berserk, uh, Community, and Nirvana, the band, the show. I guess would be my top three. Well, the leftovers. The leftovers, yeah. So, yeah, top five. Top five it may probably. I wouldn't be surprised if it makes its way in there. If it if it maintains this level of quality or gets more complex, absolutely. Oh. You, uh, you, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you got no idea. This is Dude, I can't wait for next week. Do we want do we want to call out our new antagonists of oh, the show? God, do we dare? <laughs> we okay. We, I found a podcast that is very similar to what Chris and I are doing right now, which is very similar to half of what we're doing. It's one thing. It's one thing. There's a podcast devoted to girls, and the two hosts are two dudes. <laughs> oh my God, so we're starting beef. We're starting beef. We're starting beef. <laughs> they these fucking losers, dude. These <laughs> fucking idiots. <laughs> and not to not you know this isn't like a a a, a self congratulatory thing, but these guys are fucking like the the you click on an episode of them talking about girls, and they're like Shoshana's the best one. I I do I she's cute. I'd fuck her. He, he sent me the, an episode of this podcast that we're discussing that we're talking about right now. 
And the very the episode he sent me, the first six minutes is these guys being like, yeah, Shoshana is my favorite character because she's like innocent and nice, even though she's ditzy. If I was with her in a group of people, I'd probably make fun of her to her face. But uh, I, she's my favorite character. <laughs> and it's like, okay, these are the worst men to live. <laughs> these are the red skulls of podcasting. <laughs> they did a whole riff about making fun of girls to their faces without them knowing because they think they're too stupid to understand when they're being made fun of. It's crazy. They're like, yeah, I love insulting girls in front of their faces when they don't know what's going on. Anyways, do you want to talk about HBO's girls? Yeah, it's like, what are you like? Why is this your podcast? What? It, why is your podcast about this like feminist fucking? It, it's, it's utterly ridiculous that people think the Holocaust actually happened. Like, all right, let's talk about Shoah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I see where you landed that. <laughs> I was getting a little worried there. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, am I potting with Red Skull, dude? Holy shit. <laughs> but the the greater point here, I think, that actually is worth talking about, It's it feels very obvious that a lot of people, that the reputation the show has as being so divisive seems to come from a lack of engagement with the show. Like, it's not, people are not, People are not taking it seriously. Yeah, and this happens all the time with art, but especially like the comedy thing of like, and it's, it's an easy observation to make that comedies are not taken seriously, but it's like, the, the, like there are dramatic shows that have been on for nine seasons that uh, like offer less fucking complexity than the first eight episodes of this show. <laughs> if you're going to shit on comedies as being goofy, or if you're going to fucking turn your nose up at sitcoms and at comedy writing and at characters like this fucking watch, watch Allison Williams and Lena Dunham and Adam driver in that final scene in episode seven, where they're yelling at each other and then they get in the taxi and tell me that this is less complex than fucking, I don't know, Walking Dead or something. Like, <laughs> fuck off. Get your brain out of your asshole. Who gives a fuck about billions? <laughs> <laughs> or trillions. Or, dude, uh, millions? Come on. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, like, think about what it was like in 2012 when this show yeah. came out. Uh, media literacy is dead. 2012, the master comes out. I go to see it with my father in an independent theater in Ohio. <laughs> and I think, man, cinema can't get any better than this. And I'm not wrong, but I've also yet to see Girls, <laughs> which is also as good. <laughs> we're, ra- we're, getting, we're wrapping up season one next week. Wrapping up season one. The, the season finale is ending and phase one of the MCU. Perfect. Perfect timing. We're geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any hopes or predictions about how you're going to feel about the Avengers? I hope it's fun. I've seen it twice both very long ago, and I had fun with it. I hope I think it's fun. I, I mean, I, I remember my last time watching it and how I felt about it then, but I also remember how I felt about Captain America the last time I watched it, and I was, I've was, i I've completely 180'd. So we'll see. We'll see what uh, Mr. Mr. Joss Penis comes up with. That was a good one, right? Dude, that, I think they should hire you to write on girls. <laughs> Um, so that was two things. Goodbye. Bye. See you next week. See you next week.